Mic check. Okay. All right. So as we continue in our series, Road to the Cross, um, we're going to be reading about uh, Jesus before the Sanhedrin. Um, again, we're going to go to Mark now. I'm going to begin reading from verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days will build another, not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. And some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fist, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity and privilege once again to be able to gather here in person in this building that you provided for us with this body of believers that you made us to be a part of. We thank you for the songs, Lord God, that you've given to us that prepared our hearts. And now, Lord God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to open our minds, Lord God, and teach us and guide us. Give us wisdom, Father God, and forgive us, Lord, for all of our sins. Let nothing, Lord God, about our shortcomings and our offenses against you and our neighbors hinder us from hearing your word and accepting your truth. All these things we ask in your Son's sweet and mighty name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. God on trial. God on trial. There are places in the Bible that many of us are very familiar with. The arrest, the trial, the death of Jesus. You know, it represents some of those familiar passages. But even if we are very familiar with them, it does, it does as well to reread them carefully again and see if there's anything we missed. As we go over these verses, let us be reminded of Christ's great love for us and the humiliation and injustice He took in our place, on our behalf. Now, we should never go over God's Word with the mindset of, oh, I've heard that before. Now, we have to come to His Word with a heart to see God's majesty, His love, His mercy, and His grace always being revealed. If we come to God's Word humbly, He will reveal Himself to us in, an ex in exciting ways. Amen? Amen. Now, so Jaden had three points, and he, 
he gave us about, that was quick, right? About the 10 minutes, that's 10 minutes. That, that's 10 minutes more than some of you have given the Lord. So, but so you know what? Since he did 10 minutes, I'm going to do two hours, okay? <laughs> I have, actually, I have four points tonight. So please pray that I'll be quick about this. So, the first point is it's not fair. Life is not fair. That's a familiar proverb. Many of us heard that from someone from somewhere. Maybe our parents, maybe our friends, or even our boss or our business partner. Uh, They may have expressed that and told us. Maybe we have expressed it and we said life is not fair. But as much as we don't like that saying, we know that it's often true. In the case of our Savior, not only was life unfair, His final hours were unjust and illegal. Jesus endured six hearings in a matter of hours. Three uh, trials before the Jewish religious authorities and three civil trials before the Roman political authorities. Now, this is my side note. If you Christians, you think you can separate your politics from your faith, you're mistaken. If you are not careful on who you vote for, on who is in power of our country, of your your city, you are greatly mistaken if you're not careful about it. If you're choosing candidates that are not God-fearing, because they will be, you will be under their authority, and then you will feel the consequences of their irresponsibility and their lack of faith and lack of fear in God. That's it. I'll stop there. <laughs> I'll go back to my notes. It's actually difficult to count up all the violations of Jewish law in these trials. Here's an example of a few. In a capital case like Jesus's, trials at night were forbidden. In cases where a guilty verdict was reached, a second day and session were required to ensure a fair trial. Jesus did not get that. The reason why they captured him at night was to keep it away from the public. The reason why they expedited the hearing at night again was to keep it from the public and avoid a riot. This is a kangaroo case. This is just, a, in the Philippines, we called it Lutung Macau, right? This is cooked already. This, we, they already knew what they wanted to do. Such a trial should not convene on a Sabbath or festival. So that too was not observed. That too was violated. They were not supposed to hold any hearings during the eve or during Sabbath or during a festival or during an eve of a festival. And then a charge of blasphemy could not be sustained unless the defendant cursed God's name, right? That's what blasphemy is. They carefully defined it that the individual must curse God's name. And then the penalty was to be death by stoning, not crucifixion. In Jesus' case, no formal meeting of the Sanhedrin ever took place in the temple precincts which was the proper location for a trial. The trial happened at the backyard at the property of Caiaphas. Nor was Jesus provided or even offered a defense attorney. While the Jewish leaders had their explanation of these violations, one can see these leaders were motivated by by hatred. 
the proper judicial procedure was of little concern to them. When the, when the hour, when they demanded the hour to be quick and to be quick in action. When there is a will to quickly remove an undesirable enemy, a way will be found. Religious and political authorities will conspire to put Jesus to death. I know last week we said that Jesus was not a victim of this, right? But this is what our Lord went through. Let's look at the first verse. <laughs> that was the biblical background. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests. The elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with guards and warmed himself at the fire. Now the Sanhedrin was made up of 70 priests elders and scribes, plus the high priest. According to, the, to John's gospel, Jesus was first taken to the former high priest Annas for a preliminary hearing. Annas was the father-in-law of the current high priest Joseph Caiaphas. Now Caiaphas was the current high priest. Uh, many believe Annas still ruled because Annas was hated by the Roman government. So in order for, for Annas to still have control, he, uh, he uh, gave or he nominated Caiaphas, his, son in, his son-in-law. And then, but behind the scenes, he's still ruling. Does that kind of sound familiar right now? <laughs> um, uh, but he still had enormous, Annas still had an enormous influence. And secondly, Jesus was taken to the current high priest, Caiaphas, and the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a group of 70 Jewish leaders made up of priests, elders, and scribes. With the high priest, there were 71 total. 71, it has to be odd for the obvious reason, right? So if there, was, there was a tiebreaker all the time. Now keep in mind, these men were the educated, upstanding, relig religious leaders in the Jewish community. It's important to keep in mind as we see how they treat one of their own people. In typical Markan fashion, Mark gave us a little information and moves on to the next thing, which is verse 50, 54. Peter followed, but at a safe distance. You see this? Peter had not gone too far. He follows at a safe distance, perhaps hoping Jesus would do something to free himself of his captives, and he didn't want to miss it. He follows them all the way to the high priest's courtyard, Notice that detail for Mark. The Sanhedrin court was convened in the high priest's backyard. This was not where the, they were supposed to be. This is a violation. They were supposed to be meeting in the temple precincts. But we can see the deceptiveness in the place of this gathering and that it happened at night, which is illegal according to Jewish law. Now, at least up to this point, we see we should give Peter some credit, right? Because everybody else de deserted Jesus, as we reviewed last week, but he somehow followed Jesus, right? At a safe distance. At a safe distance. And then he wanted himself to be comfortable. He was at a safe distance, and he was keeping himself warm. You know, unfortunately, a lot of people who call themselves Christians, we follow God at a safe distance. Safe enough to where we're not going to get hurt. 
safe enough or we're not going to be ridiculed by this society that we live in. Because unfortunately, whether we like it or not, if you profess that you're a Christian, you're prone to persecution, correct? And then all of a sudden, your lifestyle and your, the way of life, the way you speak, is now put on a microscope. And most of us, we don't want that. Because we know we would rather smack them if they argue with us, right? We'd rather just give them a left hook and knock them out instead of just saying, I'm going to walk away from this because my Jesus wants me to walk away from this. No, we just want to do the left hook right on the chin, right? But see, this is where it becomes difficult for us Christians because there is no way that we can follow Jesus at a safe distance. There's just no way. You know, COVID showed this. It revealed everybody's heart during the pandemic. Up to now. <laughs> Some have ignored it completely now because it's no longer in the news. It's not the topic now. It's about gas prices being so high. No more coverings in the face. No more don't go to church because you're going to get COVID, right? But some of us, we follow Jesus at the safe distance. We don't want death to come. Because, you know, unfortunately, when we follow Jesus ever so closely, we could get harmed physically. Death can be really close to us when we're following Jesus, right? Look at the vision school. The vision school for the nations, for the Muslim nations, their, their classes is packed. This building isn't enough when we have classes for vision school. Now, if you've been there, you know this is sarcasm, right? Nobody, there's not a whole lot of people that wants to sign up for missions to go to the Muslim nation because we fear for our lives. We don't think that's comfortable. We don't think that's convenient. We would rather go to the mission to the Philippines because that's where my cousins are. <laughs> that's where my relatives are, and I miss eating Filipino food. And there, I, I can be safe there. I can just hire the bad guys to be my bodyguards, and then I'll be safe. But no, you're going to go to a foreign land that hates Christianity? Oh, my goodness. What are we talking about? No way. Again, if we look at Peter during this time, and he regretted this, and we're skipping that whole thing when he denied Jesus three times, but there's no way, church, if you have been following Jesus at a safe distance, to let it be tonight that you will make the commitment and say, I'm done keeping myself safe, Lord God. I will follow you whether or not I'm safe. But you know what, Christians? We are safe where God wants us. That's, it's not the place. It's where God wants us to be. It is quite dangerous for us to think that, oh, if I'm in, in America, I'm safe, and God's calling you to go back to the Philippines or, or somewhere else. It's dangerous because it's where safety is where God wants you to be. And the fulfillment of life, if you want to live a fulfilled life, you want to live God's will for you. It's not the other way around. There is no way God will adjust to our lives. We have to adjust our lives to God's will. Are you willing to follow Jesus so long as it's safe? Never getting too close to Jesus where we might be put in an unsafe or an unstable situation? It's okay to follow Jesus so long as I'm staying at my comfort zone? 
If a believer is called into the mission field and God calls them to a not safe place and they have little children that may be at risk, don't many Christians say, I don't think that's a wise decision. I think that's responsible, irresponsible to put your wife and your children in harm's way. Is it? Was it really dangerous for us to go to church during the whole pandemic time and it was safe for us to go to work? Or the mall? Or Mexico? <laughs> where, do we, where do we get our peace from? We say it's God, amen? amen. Where, who protects us? Who's our ultimate protector? We say God, right? Amen. But do we live our lives on how we profess it? You know, in Acts 5.29, this is when um, the, the Sanhedrin warned Peter and the apostles to not preach about Jesus anymore. But they still did. And then they were captured and they were also brought in front of, of the Sanhedrin. And then they were asked this. Uh, they were so, didn't we tell you not to preach about Jesus? And then verse 29 reads, but Peter, our Peter here, after the Holy Spirit entered him. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. We must obey God rather than any human authority. If the governor tells you not to go to church, what do you do? Some of you did that. Some of us did that, right? But God told us that we are not to neglect meeting together. We are not to neglect the fellowship of other believers. We are to always honor the Lord's day. So church, where are you now? Are you, do you still want to follow Him closely? Or do you want to follow Him at a safe distance? Our second point, insisting our way. Insisting our way. You know, I don't even know why I do this, but I do it, and I beat myself up every time I do it. I enter an address in my GPS. The, <laughs> the stubborn mind of mine says, oh, I know where that is. And this happened to me yesterday. So I was going up. The, the address was somewhere in U University Terrace. So automatically, my mind went to Socrates Drive because I thought that was the university terrace all the way up there past McCarran. So my GPS was saying, turn, turn, turn to university terrace. I'm like, this stupid GPS, you know. <laughs> it's up there. It's, that's 7th Street. I was telling, I was like arguing with the machine, right? That just tells you I'm not stable. It's a... <laughs> I keep going. He says, okay, make a U-turn. Make a right here. I'm like, what is this? Why is this telling me to go back? And then I go, you know what? I'm like a few blocks away already. I'm like, you know what? All right, let's, let's see what the GPS knows. And it was right. University Terrace is actually past 7th Street. I was thinking about the university heights there by Socrates. So I was wrong. Why do we even have God? Why do we even try to talk to God if we're not going to listen to Him? Why do we even call ourselves Christians and say, I'm saved by grace and Jesus loves me and I love Jesus, but yet we don't follow Him? Why do we even say it? Why do we even have it? Why do we even have our Bibles if we don't read it? Because, right? 
because we insist our way. We think it's our way is better. We think the way we want to live is the way that we must live it because we are the captains of our own ship. But as Christians, God has made it clear that He is God and we are His people. We are His unworthy servants that He made worthy through the sacrifice of His Son. Amen? Amen. The verses that we're going to do, <laughs> we're going to expound on, is when the, the Sanhedrin and the people, when they insisted that Jesus was guilty. Because out of their jealousy and out of their, their, their envy of Jesus and out of them idolizing their power, they did not see who Jesus was, who Jesus truly was. All they had in mind was, we need to get rid of this man because we're losing our influence. I don't want to lose this big property that I have. I don't want to lose this money that I'm getting. We have to get rid of God. The verdict was decided before the trial. As the unjust, illegal trial was underway, the relig religious leaders attempted to find witnesses against Jesus. Notice what, notice what Mark points out for us. Read verse 55. Sought for a witness against Jesus to put him to death. The verdict was decided even before the trial began. This kangaroo court out of religious hypocrites did everything backwards. They tried to find witnesses to fit the verdict that they had already determined. You know, sometimes we read our, our Bible that way. We read it to let it express what we already made up our minds with and our hearts with. I want to move out of this job. I want to leave my wife. I want to leave my, my, my situation. And I'm going to look for a verse that actually blesses that. <laughs> That's not how we're supposed to. If you really want to find out God's will, your prayer should be, Lord, remove whatever it is that I want to do. Whatever it is that I have made up my mind to do, please remove that in order for me to truly see and hear your will for me. Because your will for me is better for me. These guys have made it. There is nothing just or legitimate about these proceedings. They wanted Jesus to be put to death for that they would need the sentence of the Roman governor. Consequently, to get that verdict, they would need, they, but they would, need a, they would need a verdict and they would need some sort of witness and testimony of a crime that they could lay before Pilate, the Roman governor at that time. Look at the, the other verse here. It says, many gave false witnesses, but it wasn't consistent, but not consistent. Witnesses against Jesus were brought forward, but they gave false testimony. The problem was that they could not find any witnesses that had consistent stories because there wasn't. According to the Mosaic Law, they needed two or more witnesses to agree in order to find someone guilty. If the witnesses' depositions deferred one from the other, even in trivial details, they were inadmissible as evidence. But with false witnesses, there was no consistency. That's the thing about lies. It's hard to keep it consistent. Somebody say amen. <laughs> See, the problem is when you start a lie, man, you got to remember what you said. But then if you totally made it up, you're just like, oh, is Joe there? No, he's in the bathroom. 
Well, his car is here. Yeah, he left. He walked. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, it's hard. Lies are hard to, to it, it's ruining your, your integrity. You know, even if you get away with the lie, you're ruining yourself. The liar hurts himself more. Because your inner integrity, your integrity is crumbling down because you know you lied. You know you're the one who's, who's failing. You got away, but you know God knows. So you're the one who's just crumbling down. Now, some misconstrued Jesus' word, but still inconsistent. They were unable to find two witnesses to, that could collaborate one story. So if you can't get the story straight, you misconstrue the person's words. And that's what they tried to do. They said, and read verse 58, Will this seem to have uh, some promise in it? After all, throughout the Greco-Roman world, the destruction or desecration of places of worship was regarded as a capital offense. When Jesus said, destroy this temple, this is what Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. But what did they say? He said, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and I will restore it, right? Now Jesus was speaking metaphorically about his own body going through the cross and then going to the grave and then resurrecting after the third day. Now this should leave us to ask ourselves, Christians, if I still have your attention, we have to ask ourselves, how is my witness? How is my testimony to the world? Am I being truthful? Am I, have I changed? Am I still chismosa or chismoso? Have I changed my ways? Can people see Jesus in me already? And does it bother you when, before you've justified, when you say, oh, it's a white lie. I needed to lie or else my wife will divorce me. But one lie leads to another, to another, until you can't remember what the truth was. Peter is about to get himself into a corner of lies as he denies Jesus. Friends, it's much easier to keep track of the truth than it is to keep track of your lies. You might say, I'm a Christian. I don't lie. You just lied. You don't, you don't lie. You don't make stories. You don't exaggerate. You don't, even if it's true, don't you try to make it a little bit better? You fabricate it. You say, oh, yeah, you know, I was running 65 miles per hour, but really you were only doing 35 just because you wanted to emphasize your car was faster. Because we want to make things more interesting, right? I'm a great hunter. I'm a great fisherman. <laughs> we need to watch everything that we do, everything that we say. We can't be like the Sanhedrin. They have something that they wanted to insist, and they missed the fact that Jesus, the Son of the living God, right in, front of, right in front of them because of their own selfish ways and because of their lies. They were already into it deep, right? Have you, have you been in that situation where your lie got so big, you're just like, I'm too committed. <laughs> There's, 
I'm too invested in this lie. There's no getting away from it. I might as well just go to jail because there's no getting out. It is easier to be honest with God, number one, and to our neighbors, number two. And then it will also us help us hold our integrity all together. Amen? Our third point, why is God silent? In, look at verse 60. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? The high priest was frustrated at Jesus' lack of defense. The high priest frustrated at the failure to obtain the testimony they desired to come out. And then he decided to question Jesus directly, probing and pushing Jesus, hoping he would say something to incriminate himself. The trial had not gone as planned. The case is unraveling and headed for disaster from the perspective of the religious leaders. So any type of impartiality or illusion, illusion of that flies out the door. Caiaphas, the high priest, is trying to push Jesus. Don't you have anything to say against all these accusations? If they could just get Jesus to respond, they might have something to use, but Jesus said nothing. This actually fulfills the scripture said about Jesus in Isaiah 53.7. It was read earlier, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. He was oppressed and afflicted, and he did not open his mouth. Now there's a great lesson for us, correct? No? If we find it so hard to be silent, I know I do. <laughs> Especially if I feel like I need to defend myself. You know, honestly, there has been many posts on Facebook that uh, I don't agree with and sometimes are offensive to our faith. And I find myself trying to, like, reply, comment, and it's like a diary or an encyclopedia of information about what was said. And then I'm like, ah. I remember verses like this where it says, Jesus kept silent. So I just go, delete <laughs> Sometimes we think we need to defend God. Sometimes we think that we need to be His attorney, right? But even Jesus, because He knew, you know what? He knew they weren't going to listen anyway. Remember in John, where there was an account where there was like, they were asking Him, are you, are you the Son of God? And He says, if I say, if I answer your question, are you going to tell me who John the Baptist is? And then they said, oh, why did you kill John the Baptist? And they said, oh, if we answer it, we're going to cause a riot because people believe that John the Baptist is a prophet. So they said, well, we don't know. We don't know. Then he said, neither will I answer your question. You know, church, sometimes when people have made up their mind, there's no point to exasperate yourself. You did not lose the argument, especially when it comes to us sharing the gospel. And they're going to say, huh? You believe in God? Yeah. If there's a God, let him appear here and I'll believe him. 
That's like the most irritating one for me. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes we engage it and we fail. The, the, the testimony fails altogether. It's just better to just do what Jesus did and just keep our silence and walk away. After Jesus is silent, the high priest, full of frustration, says, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now, Christ is Messiah or Savior. God's cho- chose Chose anoint, cho, uh, sorry, he was God's anointed one. Blessed one is the title for God in the Old Testament. Now here's the irony of this question. From the mouth of his accuser comes the very full proclamation of who Jesus is. Now as, as Edwards put it in his commentary, the effect is to put a full Christological confession into the mouth of the high priest, his arch prosecutor confesses his name. How ironic that in the Gospel of Mark, in the two most complete confessions from human occurs from the mouth of those responsible for his death. Because Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. Correct? But if you will catch it there, our fourth, fourth point is Jesus is the answer. Because in verse 62, Jesus answered, I am, said Jesus, And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, Jesus quoted there Psalm Psalm 110 and verse 1, and he also then quotes Daniel 7.13. That's why then the high priest tore his clothes. There's two side notes here. Um, The first question was, there were two questions. Are you the Messiah? Did you know that the Messiah... If Jesus was claiming or anybody was claiming that they are the Messiah, that's not a capital offense. That's not enough for a death penalty. You will be, if you were saying that you are the Messiah, you can be charged with lying or, or accused of starting trouble. That's it. That's all the offense, that the penalty that they could give you. But if you were to say that you are the Son of God, they're saying that that's the blasphemy, right? But we said earlier that blasphemy is when the person curses God. Curses God, right? He, but God, Jesus did not curse God. Now, blasphemy carefully was written by the Jewish law in order for them to be, because capital offense is death penalty right away, so they were very careful with this. But you see here, Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man in power and glory. Numerous times in Mark's gospel, Jesus asked those who followed him and those he healed to remain silent concerning his identity. This is what the theologians call the Messianic secret. But now that has come to an end, called under oath to bear witness to his true identity, and Jesus openly affirms the truth. I am the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. But Jesus also affirms that he is the son of man. Daniel spoke of in his prophecy. Jesus weds, Jesus puts it together in identifying himself as the Messiah and as God's son. Something the Jews of Jesus' day did not expect. Jesus says basically, today I stand before you, but there is coming a day when you will stand before me in final judgment. A great reversal is coming. You know, friends, that's what's going to happen. When we're trying to share Jesus right now to people, 
they in a way are trying to put God on trial. And they have questions and saying, God needs to prove himself to me before I accept him. Right? But you know, there will come a time in their life or our, in our life that it will be a reverse. God will be the one judging us and judging them. The only opportunity to accept Jesus is when you're still alive. Now, if you have loved ones, friends, and, and family that have not surrendered their lives to Jesus, this is the only time that they have. And whether we like it or not, everybody will go. Everybody will die. That's in Hebrews, right? And at the end, death. Everybody will face it. Now, the concern there should be, the burden there should be for us Christians is, again, how's our witness? Is our life reflecting Jesus? Is our life glorifying Jesus? Or are we following Jesus from a safe distance? And everybody's saying, oh, is that what a Christian is? Is that what a Christian is? You're playing safe. I thought if you die, you go to heaven. How come you're so scared? Is that what a Christian is? Because I thought your God was holy, but man, I thought you're not supposed to use God's word in vain, but you keep using it. And you said you were at church yesterday. <laughs> Didn't you say you were a pastor? <laughs> That's the worst, right? <laughs> you know, R.C. Sprawl, R.C. Sprawl shared this. He said he had a friend who's a Christian, and he was a contractor. Well, he was with R.C. Sprawl. Now, R.C. Sprawl, for those of you, I think everybody knows him, right? He's, he's with the Lord now, but he's a big Christian figure. He's a pastor and a teacher. The friend, and I'm going to say it because R.C. Sprawl said it. He's, the friend, there was something happened while they were working on his house, and the friend goes, God damn it. He said that. And then he, he was like, oh. He looked at R.C. Sproul. He forgot that he was with his pastor. So he goes, oops, I'm sorry. God darn it. <laughs> and then R.C. Sproul said, you changed the wrong word. You changed the wrong word. See, little things like that, right? Little things like that are actually big things. Because remember, blasphemy is for a person who curses God. But how many Hollywood movies do you see that that happens? And how many times have you used it? Even Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ is used as a slur word, a swear word. How many witnesses do we need? How many witnesses are there for us to say, that man is for God? Because you know what? We say Jesus is the answer, correct? In all life's challenges, Jesus is the answer. Are you having trouble relationally? Jesus is the answer. Maybe Jesus was not there. Are you having financial problem? Jesus is the answer. Maybe you weren't glorifying Jesus with your money. Are you, do you have health issues? Jesus is the answer. Maybe it's time for you to give your life for him as, he, as you beg for your life to be healthy once again. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The cruelty and unjust behavior done to Jesus was not returned by Jesus. In fact, he didn't, he didn't say a protest. He didn't protest it a bit. 
The temple, the temple guards took Jesus and joined the party. They began to beat the innocent, kind, loving man who Jesus... Remember, he was spat on. He was, everything that Jesus did while he was living was just good things. He was healing the sick, right? He was feeding the hungry. He was giving sight to the blind. He made the paralyzed people walk. He healed the lepers. But then when these people insisted that he was of the devil, everything happened to Jesus. But Jesus did not try to defend himself. Just think for a moment who, is, who it is that's doing this to Jesus. It's the university people, the leaders of the community, the upstanding citizens in the Jewish community. This is not some sort of prison folk. These are not thugs that Jesus was being mistreated with. These were the upstanding citizens of the town. These were supposedly the good people. This should speak to us that no matter what your social status is in the community, we are all capable of the vilest of evil and are desperately in need of saving. But I want us to remember why Jesus went through this. He went through that so you and I wouldn't have to. The key to the gospel is Christ in my place. Christ in behalf of us. Now, as we said in the beginning, we shouldn't get too familiar with, the, with certain passages and that we try not to revisit them because we know them and we've memorized it. As hard as it is to look at, Jesus endured the shame, the rejection, and cruel treatment for you and me. Christ gave up, gave up His life on the cross to satisfy the full wrath of God upon the sin of the world. Jesus did this for you and me. I don't know if that's enough. It should be enough, right? I mean, when, when somebody spits at you, spits on you, you, you what's your tendency? You, you move. You block it. And you move away and you run away or something. Or you hit back. But Jesus took it all. He didn't even try to stop it. They put blindfolds on him and starts hitting him. And they say, prophesy who hit you. Starts mocking him. While he had all the power to defend himself, he did not do it. Can we do that too? Can we try to, even though we have the power to defend ourselves, when somebody is like really persecuting our Christianity, can we like be Christ, be like Christ and say, I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to leave this to God. Because if my Lord did it for me, I can do it for His name. This is a perfect time for me to mention that if you guys can please, if, if you are free on Friday, we would love for you to be here for our movie night. We're going to be showing the passion of the Christ. And then I, um, I've been thinking about this ever since I finished the message today. Um, on Wednesday, we're going to be talking about, uh, I'm going to not be on the prayer uh, or faith series. I'm going to be in the passion series. So on Wednesday, if you want to be here, we will have us that the message will be about God's uh, Jesus being uh, the crown, the crown of thorns, and while he was in a, when he went through the scourging too. That's what we're going to be discussing. But that is our message tonight. 
Um, hopefully, at this point of our lives, in our Christian life, uh, we should never take God for granted. But as we continue to learn about what Jesus went through, as we again heard it tonight, I hope that it, gives, it breeds love in our hearts for Him. And as we continue to love Him, we will live for Him and obey Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's our message tonight. Please join me in the word of prayer. Thank you for your patience. Father, we thank you for your message for us tonight. We thank you for the sacrifice that you've done for us, Lord God. Lord, we, we saw the betrayal of your friends. We know about the crucifixion, but now, Lord God, we saw the, the unfairness of the, the trial that happened, the persecution and the, the abuse that you went through in place of us, Lord God. Forgive us, Lord, for the times, the many times that we've taken you for granted. Forgive us, Lord God, for the many times that we failed you, that our lives was not glorifying you and not a good testimony and not good representatives of your name. And Lord, we know that you knew that. That's why you gave yourself for us. And again, Lord God, we are grateful. Father, we ask now, Lord God, that you um, continue to give us and shower us with your grace and your mercy and give us, Lord God, the love for you in order for us to live for you. I pray now, Father God, for the people that are here. I pray for those broken hearts, Lord God. Please heal them and comfort them as they go through it. I pray for broken relationships, Lord God. Please restore them. Please give them peace and unity, Father God. May their love for each other just be revitalized and um, may they may they want reconciliation Lord God help them Father I pray for those who are sick Lord please heal them please restore their health and their strength Father God and I pray for everyone else who is struggling I pray Father that you will just sustain them as they go through the storms in their lives Father we love you in all these things we pray in your son's sweet and mighty name and all the Lord's people said Amen. Amen.